Welcome to the Man Up, Man Down podcast, presented by Volker Baluda and David Pawsey. We discuss the pressures and challenges faced by men approaching middle age that we're often too embarrassed to speak about with our friends. You can find us online at www.manupdown.com. Enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Welcome to another episode of Men Up, Men Down. We welcome Jill Kaleri, I hope I pronounced that right now. She has, a, has had a career spanning 18 years in a highly competitive realms of retail and airports. So throughout her journey, she worked in senior commercial positions for various organizations such as M&S, group-owned and independent UK airports. As a female professional, she often found herself as the only woman at the table, predicted to attain executive positions and enjoying the trimmings that came with her success. However, at the age of around 39, so I say just, just around mid, mid-life, right, um, Jill experienced unavoidable internal turmoil marked by questioning, confusion, disconnect and a sense of suffocation in both her professional and personal life. Overwhelmed by these emotions, she reached a breaking point, calmly deployed the emergency slide and exited her established path. I feel like I'm, I'm in an airplane giving directions here whilst I'm reading it out. <laughs> so with no whistle, life vest or light for attracting attention, she then totally unexpectedly fell apart, emotionally drained, burnt out and mentally battered. Presently, Jill works as a consultant, non-executive professional and coach. She guides and champions her clients through the process of confronting their own angst and success while fostering self-reflection, self-awareness, and the courage to be authentic. Jill, first of all, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. So I've read all this out now, which had ups and downs. So obviously, you know, there are lots of things to pick apart straight away. But what's, if I say, what's, what's your own, or what's, what's the story in your own words, um, you know, from, if I say, being totally drained, burn out, to then turning your life around and now coaching and helping others? Yeah, um, I think a lot of people in the coaching to therapy spectrum world kind of probably start off in that in that space, particularly coaches. I think um, I speak to a lot of coaches who have experienced some kind of burnout at some point in their life. I think it, for me, it it was a it wasn't a physical burnout. I didn't. I wasn't sick. I wasn't unwell. My body wasn't failing me in any way. Um, it was much, much more mental. So it was much more about how I was thinking, how I was thinking about my thoughts. So that metacognition as well. And yeah, I sort of had this burning incongruence towards the end. There was a big part of me just hugely questioning, why are you doing this every day? Why are you doing this job? Is this right for you? Is this you? Um, and into those places of like, who even are you right now in your life? And I think maybe that is also hitting 40. Um, and I think for women yeah. as well, you know, we've got impending perimenopause heading in our direction as well. So there's just so much going on. And for me, I conversations at home were really challenging. Um, my other half was massively concerned, but I couldn't hear it. I couldn't understand what he was saying um mm -hmm. and then one day he kind of sat me down and said you literally come home from work with nothing left there is nothing else 
you know, you don't want to talk to anyone, you don't want to go out, you don't want to do anything. You know, you just want to sit and be by yourself because my weeks were so busy and my brain yeah. was so full of so much other stuff, not just work, um, that I didn't really have time for anything else. And it was him that he didn't, we didn't use the word burnout back then. I'd never heard yeah. of it. So it was much more just that kind of sitting down and that sort of shoulder grabbing face to face conversation of where have you yeah. gone? Because you are no longer present. Um, and that was a big wake up call. Um, and it made me realize that I couldn't actually continue doing what I was doing. But I also didn't have the language or the tools or the skills um, or even the wherewithal to be able to articulate that. Yeah. And to be able to really work out how to do that, um, I realized that I was standing on the precipice of um, something pretty major and not good for me. Yeah. So, yeah, when I say I calmly deployed the um, the slide, I did very calmly yeah. do it. And I very calmly resigned um, and then moved through my notice period and did all of that. Um, and I did not expect to fall apart. Totally did not expect that. That was not what I was expecting. I was expecting life to be bloody amazing out of the corporate world. I was fortunate enough to be able to take some time off and, you know, just chill for a little while, work out what I was going to do. You know, and everyone had sort of finished at Christmas time and everyone had said, oh, yeah, when we all go back to work on the 4th of January, you are going to feel amazing because you're not going back to work with us. I did not feel amazing. The 4th of January came and it was like, boof. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Who was I? I lost all of my confidence and my identity and I just didn't know who I was and what I was doing. So you um you mentioned um like burnout wasn't a phrase back then. So sorry, mm. what sort of time was this? Um so that would have been two thousand and fifteen. Right. Um I would say probably towards the end of two thousand and fourteen was the kind of shoulder grabbing kind of moment. Mm. Um, and then I had a, you know, in a senior position, you have very long notice periods and stuff like that. So it took me a little while to, to do it. That was a big step doing the kind of, I'm going to resign. And then I did that. And then I, I didn't leave until probably the Christmas of 2015, actually. So, um, sorry, I mean, like you said, it was your husband that took you aside. Um, I mean, do you have children? don't no. asking no kids okay i mean no. so like did friends or anyone else kind of notice it or was it no i don't i don't uh, i think i hid it particularly well from the outside world so outside yeah. at work i was still me and i was still kind of you know two or three black tie dinners a week uh, events still having lunches you know entertaining clients being entertained going out I'm still hanging out with friends. Um, and at the moment you walk through the door, you're just like... Nothing. I could, yeah, I've got a... I don't have nothing. to wear that mask anymore. No. I can, yeah. And so things like on a Friday afternoon, I would go to... Because I worked in the airport. My office was in the airport. I would go to WH Smith, grab a ton of really rubbish magazines, like, you know, like 10, 15 quid's worth of magazines, some chocolates, some sweets, 
And I would just, that's what I was wanting to do when I went home. So I would literally take off the old lady clothes, get in my sweatpants, and I just wanted to sit and escape mm. into reality nonsense stupid magazines that just didn't have anything to think about didn't need to use my brain but mm -hmm. I hadn't even realized that that was that was a, a complete distraction it was a total distraction and I had no idea that's what was going on I wasn't aware yeah. of that it's, it's a strange one isn't it because I know that in a lot of ways you know it's you talk about the importance of rest and recovery and, you know, personally, I find when I'm going through, like, a difficult time, I'll sort of, yeah, read a lot, um, you know, like, sort of yeah. thrillers and, um, or, you know, well, I've, I've sort of got into a bit of an, a, a real crime addiction on Netflix at the moment. But I don't know, some, you know, it, it's funny because I, I sort of listening to that and think, well, yeah, a lot of my weekends are like that. And I like my weekends being like that. I mean, you know, I wonder I guess... though Sorry, if there's a consciously you were, you might be using that to relax. I, I wasn't using it to relax. Mm. I was using it to avoid completely the everything that was going on inside for me. Because mm. one of the other things that was happening in there, um, which I had not expected either was I had a very very difficult childhood very difficult um and I'd never talked I'd never mentioned it to a soul not even Pierre I'd never talked about it and it was one of those things that had just been buried for years and years and years and what happened when I sort of left the corporate world and started to kind of unravel <laughs> was that was bubbling up it, it was mm. literally, it was literally sitting inside my throat, sitting inside my chest, needing to be spoken about in some way, shape, or form. But again, I, that that hit me like a big wrecking ball as well. I didn't expect that. So, I think some of my um, behaviours were definitely just distracting how I was really feeling. I didn't want mm. to deal with my feelings. I didn't know how to deal with my feelings. And, and I certainly didn't want to deal with them. And the the environment I worked in, we didn't we didn't have feelings. <laughs> they didn't exist. Mm. So it was just a massive distraction. So I mean, with with that childhood aspect, I mean, how did that? Did you sort of find you're in a bad place, then look into therapy, and um, that's how it was uncovered, or was it kind just of, that no, you? Mm. You had more time to think and reflect, so things started coming up. So I fell apart, felt sorry for myself for quite a long time, found it difficult to leave the house, um, to get involved in stuff and to push myself out. And people kept saying, you know, do you want to come and do some work for us? You know, now you've got time, could you do it? And, and I just found so many different ways of saying, uh, no, <laughs> don't want to do that. Um, and... Someone very close to me gave me a book, which I would never have picked up and read. It was a book by Louise Hay. It it was what I would probably have considered a woo-woo a little bit back mm. in the day. And, and I read it and it just really clicked that there's a human being inside the shell that I was. Mm. 
and that human was feeling all types of stuff. So I started to get read a lot more um, self-help. I never used to read that much. I now devour books, but I started to do a bit more work on, you know, just picking up things like Tony Robbins' book, watching stuff on YouTube, um, and started to do a lot more journaling and really thinking about what was going on for me. I then came across some people who were coaches, started to do some coaching with them, various different types of coaching. And I did probably coaching for maybe two, two and a half years. And there was always something just missing for me. It was great. And, and I got loads out of it. And it really moved a lot of things forward for me. But I still felt there was something that, that was not being attended to. And it just I just knew I needed to go and speak to someone else. I needed to go and speak to a therapist who was trained in how to deal with stuff like this. I had a very strong feeling it was about all of my childhood stuff because those were the thoughts that were coming up in the space that I had created. So I started the really difficult journey of therapy. Um, and I tried a couple of different therapists. They were all good. I um, eventually found one that, you know, just kind of really clicked with me. And I started that journey of going back into the labyrinth of what was going on in there. And, you know, that's that's a brutally, brutally scary place to go when you've never been there and memories I never knew I had and all of that kind of stuff. So I probably, I probably did that for about solidly every week for a year. Wow. And it was great. It was brutal, but it was bloody brilliant. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of thinking as I listen, what, what we haven't done yet, we haven't really introduced the topic yet. Because I know. It, we, we invited you <laughs> to talk about imposter syndrome, which people probably might have gathered um, by the title we're going to put out. Yes, let's <laughs> uh, go there. Let's go there. But, no, no, I, lo I love the story. That's why I didn't want to interrupt it. How, how did you make the link then from, yeah. I mean, obviously going through therapy and, you know, as, as I'm training to be a therapist, um, you know, I think, I think it's the best thing people can do, right, to, to clear out all the old stuff, you know, and, mm. um, and if I see, unfortunately, fortunately, de depending which side you're sitting on, it, it does take that long, right? And, and, and a year can go very quickly, but it's, you know, it's, it's sometimes what, what's needed. So once, if I say once you finish the journey, did you just decide, oh, I want to help others, I want to be a coach, or what, what, what happened? I'd always done coaching, um, so I'd always been a yeah. bit of an outlier in the commercial world and, and always done coaching with my team, uh, more on yeah. their personal development. So I knew that was where my natural style of leadership lay. Having done the therapy, it, that didn't make me want to be a coach. It, it made me connect with myself. It made mm. me realise what I was good at. It made me realize where my heart lies. It made me realize how much I love people, the complexity of the human being. It made me realize so many great things. And that's what made me begin to want to go into coaching. And having known that I'd always done coaching for years, I decided to professionalize it. Um, I had time to do a master's and I decided to, I wanted a sort of professional element to what I was doing with coaching. Anyone can be a coach, obviously. But I just knew there was more to it than what I was doing. I would have said I thought I was a good coach. Um, when I started doing the Masters, you realise that 
might not be quite as good as what you thought you were. There's so much to know and learn practically, but also academically, theory, all of that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of threw myself into that. Um, and also real point to note is I didn't think I could do it. I did it because I didn't think I could do it. Right. I didn't think I was smart enough to do a master's right. imposter syndrome, total imposter syndrome. Yeah. And on the journey of doing this master's, you have to, so much of it is about self-reflection. It's very similar to the world of training to be a therapist, nowhere near as intense, but you have to go through a lot of self-reflection and self-discovery to be able to understand your style as a coach and your own bias and the way that you think and how that can shape your coaching. And, you know, so, that journey made me interested in imposter syndrome because it's something that's everyone talks about. Coaches are always talking about it together. Yeah. You know, how do you even deal with it? How do you even know what it is? What even is it? There's so much conflicting information out there yeah. that I'd kind of thought if I do do the masters, I would like to do it in that area. So yeah, when I decided to do the third year and do the dissertation and do the research, that was you know, it was always something in the back of my head. And along the way of doing all of that research, I had the huge realisation of a lot of things that had been going on for me, which had led and been a big part of why I had burnt out and how I had been behaving, how I'd been thinking and how I'd been um, dealing with my performance at work or um, how I was feeling about myself, so closely correlated to the stuff that I was finding out about imposter syndrome. So yeah. I guess, you know, the final paragraph of my um, reflection was in my dissertation was that I met my own imposter on the journey. Yeah. And we've made, we've made friends. Wow, that's... Uh... That's quite powerful. Um, I mean, so, well, are you able to, um, I mean, I don't know whether you want to talk about it in terms, in the context of your experience or more general experience, but, well, so what exactly is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> and what, you know, sort of what are the things to look out for? And, mm. you know, what is the difference between, I guess, imposter syndrome and, you know, natural anxiety, I guess? Yeah, good questions. So I guess doing a piece of master's research, I've got loads and loads and loads of research, which I am not part of. And part of the process is that you have to remove yourself from it or notice when you haven't moved yourself from it. Um, so there's loads of stuff which is just fact and then there's obviously my experience and then on top of that I also have the fact that I coach other people who come to me and say I feel like I've got imposter syndrome mm. or do I have imposter syndrome so I also have um, experience in there as well so I guess the, the difficulty is pulling out exactly each piece so you're probably going to get a mix of all of that in the answers um, and the first question of what is imposter syndrome is is where I started my research um, because the, I couldn't get an answer to what that <laughs> was. So interestingly, there's been so much research done. It's been being researched since the mid 70s. So there's almost five decades of peer reviewed research out there. 
There's thousands and thousands and thousands of articles um, all researched in like a clinical setting. Um, so there's loads of really good information in there. And the definitions are enigmatic, but they range from being, some may say it's a um, maladaptive personality construct in that something that you have experienced um, in the past you have adapted yourself to it, but at some point it becomes maladaptive. At some point it's an over-adaptation to something. Some people suggest that it's self-doubt. Some people suggest it's lack of self-confidence. Um, and it can be all of those things. But fundamentally, there are three things that make it different from other, from other constructs. So there's a profound fear of being found out. So it's not just thinking, oh, do I know how to do this? I'm not sure how to do this. Or, you know, mm, this is challenging and difficult. That comes with, a, a depending on how severe it is, a, a very profound fear of being found out, that someone is going to find you out. And that is the imposter part of it, that mm -hmm. someone is going to burst through the door any moment and say, the game is up. You're the wrong person. We should never have hired you and your time's up. Mm. We find you out. Um, and there's that fear of that every single time that something is challenging or difficult, that's what's going to happen. And so this if you is, keep that... This is the piece of work where people will finally realise, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is the what. this is it. This is it. They're good. And what happens is before you even start the piece of work, there's a pattern that starts of you worry about that happening. So you worry about taking on perhaps very stretching challenges. You have anxiety about people questioning how you're going to do it. Um, and so this little anxiety starts to build before you even start to do it. And then you're doing it thinking all the time, your shoulders are attached to your ears. You're in a state of this is going to be the time. This is the one piece of work that they're going to find me out and then that's it. So, yeah, it, it also comes with um, self-doubt for sure. And also just to contextualise, we all have self-doubt. It's a very normal, mm. it, 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 it's almost essential in some ways to have a little bit of reflection on yourself and just question whether or not you are doing it right or you are right to do this role. So there's self-doubt in there. And then the other thing, the other part of it, because there's three key parts to it, is that you just have an inability to internalise your success. You might, for a fleeting moment, be able to go, oh, yeah, I did that and that was really good. But then so quickly, there's a big, there's the big wheelbarrow of, well, it was the team and oh, it was just some good old fashioned good luck and timing and I was in the right place at the right time and Bob from accounts was amazing and Gemma and admin did a long night for me and and before you know it you've completely diminished your part in it there's an underlying belief that you don't actually have the talent to do the job or the role or the project or whatever it is wow so it's pretty extreme right it's 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 pretty deep and that's why often things like impost the, the word imposter syndrome is so misused and mm. misunderstood. 
And it's become such common parlance that it's like, oh, that'll be your imposter syndrome. But it's, but it's probably not your imposter syndrome. Full-blown imposter syndrome in all of the research that's been done and in the piece of research that I did, the small piece of research I did, it's actually quite rare. Man Up, Man Down is sponsored by Welldoing. As someone who has seen a counsellor for a number of years, I think their approach is great. They want you to find the mental health professional who is right for you. You can filter your search to highlight therapists with expertise where you need it, or you can pay to use their personalised matching service. The people who run Welldoing are experts in mental well-being, and they also have loads of posts and interviews to keep your mental health in good shape. Take a look at welldoing.org. I'm glad you're saying that because I was about to ask when, so I was in a job, if I now say it's a year, you can look up on LinkedIn which company it was, but I was in a job anyway, and um, I felt a little bit out of my comfort zone, right? So as you described, a little bit of, yeah, not even anxiety, but a little bit uncomfortable, right? Um, and I remember speaking to to a coach at the time, and um, he said, oh, this is imposter syndrome. And at the time, and, and again, if I say which year it was, you go like, fuck, surely you should, should have heard of imposter syndrome before. I, I hadn't heard, or not in the mm-hmm. context of what I was feeling. And I'm like, imposter syndrome, what is that? So I started reading it. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. You know, that doesn't even fit my, you know, my, my diagnosis, if you like. And I find that, you know, as, as, as you know, I'm working as a coach myself and, and, and I often get, get, get people coming up to me and, and say, you know, folk, I have imposter syndrome. And, and all it is, is a bit of a lack of confidence, right? So I think, as to, to your point, the word is overused, right? It's like, I have imposter syndrome. I don't feel as confident as I am, uh, as, as I think I should be. But imposter syndrome is so much more than just not feeling confident. It is. And one of the things that the research doesn't, because the research is all in a clinical setting and it tends to be with other, the research is within perhaps academia or other clinical settings, is that's great and it's factual and it's empirical and it's all been reviewed, but it's not necessarily reflective of what is going on in a sort of commercial organisation or a large workplace. It's not entirely correct. And there's like a spectrum, which there's more research emerging now that um, this needs to be looked at, like it's in a continuum or, or a spectrum. My research pulled out that there's a, there's a space where imposter feelings, imposter experiences, imposter thoughts. I mean, I don't even like the word imposter, but we, we have to use it because we're talking about imposter syndrome. So these three things are normal, they're common, they happen to us all. And then if you go along the spectrum, if this is happening all the time, if it's your state rather than just a trait, so it doesn't just pop in every now and again, you know, something might happen, a new job, a difficult project, a new boss. But if it's constant, you start to move along the spectrum and then you start to, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy. That's the one. It's, it's, <laughs> I had to put it's my one of them. For that one. Yeah. <laughs> it can build. And one of the things about it is that if you don't, if you can't catch it, or if you're one of those people who realise that you're in that end of the spectrum, is it's like one of those puzzles where you're trying to unknot the loop, and the harder you pull, the tighter the knot gets. Yeah. It's um, almost like you need to relax out of it. You need to you need to talk about it. 
you need to work out what's going on and allow it to start to unravel a little bit because the tighter you hang on to it, the tighter you hang on to the label, the more difficult it can become. Um, so there's imposter feelings, thoughts, experiences, and then there's imposter syndrome. Um, I mean, there's a few questions I've got um, following what you've said there. I mean, one of the things you talked about is a spectrum. Is there sort of any research into links between sort of neurodiversity um, and imposter syndrome? Because I know in sort of in terms of ADHD, there can be a lot of sort of self-doubt, uh, mm. second guessing. But also, I mean, I guess the other question is, you know, exactly, is there any way of quantifying it? Because, I mean, you know, I guess from what you're saying, and, and I can I can sort of think, um, I mean, I guess I'm one of these people that, you know, if I hear a syndrome, I'm like, yeah, I've definitely got that. But, um, you know, I can sort of think of projects where, you know, I've turned them down just because it just seems too big in my head. And, you know, every time I've started a new job, you know, there's this feeling of intense anxiety. And, and again, it's kind of like, oh, well, what is a normal level of anxiety? And what is, you know, a mm. an unhelpful, unhealthy level of anxiety? Yeah. I mean, I guess because, you know, I guess it's difficult to almost quantify it as in, is it a case of if you've got it, you won't go for certain jobs? Or is it a case of you start jobs, but then you leave you know, quite soon after. I mean, as I say, it's just quite hard to almost quantify how mm. much of an issue it is, which again is, you know, part of the problem of, when I say problem, you know, in in terms of mental health, that a lot of it is self-diagnostic to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot in there. So does it correlate with neurodiversity? I imagine there's studies going on with that. I didn't look at it in that angle, so I didn't go down that route. Um, you can disappear down so many rabbit warrens <laughs> when you're doing research. Yeah. So I safely stayed away from certain things because I just knew that it would just eat my time. Um, so I don't know the answer to that question, but I imagine there are probably correlations. And the reason I say that is that whilst imposter syndrome from all of the research is definitely deemed to be a paradigm in its own right, it also sounds and feels like so many other things. Mm. And that's the enigma of it. That is why it's such an enigma. For some people, they will experience intense procrastination. Other people will experience intense perfectionism. Other people will experience anxiety, low mood. Um, some people experience all of that. And those are things that you know you could quite easily fit into other boxes Mm. and call something else so i am immediately going in my brain now to one of the the clear findings in my research and something that really resonates with me now when i'm talking to people about um, imposter syndrome is is the concept of labeling so labeling something sort of like a pseudo diagnosis right so as a coach when i'm coaching anyone I aim to stay away from any type of labels or diagnosis. People not people come to me all the time with a, I've got this, I've got that, I am this, I am not that. Um, 
we like a label because it gives us something to hang on to and something to explain. And we like explanations of why we do things or don't do things. It's almost like I have to kind of remove myself from that because if I collude with you that you do have imposter syndrome, then I'm going to miss so many other things that you're telling me because that, and particularly me, because I know so much about it, I'm going to be down the route of, well, I can totally help you fix this, but that might not be what's going on for you. Mm. And the chances are, it's not. There's every chance, there's as much chance of it being that as not being that. So there's me as a coach who, like I just think coaching is a, is a safe space it should be non-judgmental, um, diagnosis-free, where you can just come in as your successful self, but also sit face-to-face with your anguish and your anxious self. You can meet in that space, and that's the space I hold for you as a coach. So labels are unhelpful there. As a client, as a person, as a and just an individual in the world, placing a label on yourself, which particularly something like imposter syndrome, which is not pathological, it's been proven to not be pathological. And in fact, syndrome is just the, the worst possible word. And I think it's moving back now to phenomenon, which it originally was. Still, again, it's not great, but removing the word syndrome can take a weight off your shoulders as well. But labeling yourself, if you... If you Google it, you'll have it for sure. Mm. You, if you were to read what it is, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've totally got that. That's totally me. Um, or that's totally not me, depending on what you read. Either way, the important thing is that what you bring when you talk about it is just what you're experiencing, how you're feeling, what it means to you, how you're behaving with it, how you're thinking about it, how you feel about your own thoughts about it. Because it's totally different for every single individual. I've never met two people who've explained it to me in the same way. Um, And that's the really important part. And, you know, having done this piece of research, keeping reading, talking to people about it, um, I'm really passionate about not labelling yourself. And also, you know, if coaches out there are talking to people about it, Sure, you could make a ton of money by creating a 12-step program to help people remove their imposter syndrome. No problem. I could be making tons of money out of doing that now. But you're not cookie dough and I can't force you into a cookie cutter. It's very different for everybody. Everyone experiences Mm -hmm. it differently. Everyone's strategies for um, distracting themselves from it is totally different as well. So I don't know if that answers your question. David, does it answer your question? Uh, yeah, no, and it's given me lots of other questions, but I want to let, I want to let you ask some questions. <laughs> You're not normally that quiet. Um, to be honest, I don't have many more questions. Um, I mean, I, one thing I obviously had, had in mind as well, um, you know, th- th- thinking about what I said earlier in terms of more and more people using the term imposter syndrome. Did you see an uplift of people having imposter syndrome or thinking they're having imposter syndrome since covid is, is there a, a correlation or causation, I wonder? Because people, you know, um, we're we, we working differently, right? We're we interacting differently with people. Once of a sudden, and, and I find that for myself, and I'm not calling it imposter syndrome. I mean, I'm still confident going out and meeting people, but sometimes I, I just quite happily just sit at home because I can't be bothered, you know, 
it's, it's less a confident thing for me it's more I can't be bothered going out and actually meeting people if I can do the same from home mm. but I can see how people that might be forced back into the office having you know call it confidence issues but then mm. use the label imposter syndrome because it it, 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 is, it is becoming popular and I totally see what you mean in terms of you know, put a put a twelve step um, process together. Maybe I should do that and, <laughs> and start selling it. But you know, I, I I can see how people would buy into that, right? Because mm. you know, it's 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 a one size fits all. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's also, I have I seen an uplift in people talking about it. I've generally seen. I haven't really correlated it to to COVID, but I've generally yeah. seen more people talking about it. My research has certainly highlighted that. You know the. The, the research I did with these, they were very experienced coaches, been coaching for 10 to 20 years, accredited, academically qualified coaches. Um, and they were talking about how 15 years ago, they were still dealing with this, but it didn't. they didn't have a label. They didn't know that it was yeah. called imposter syndrome. It wasn't out there, but they were still dealing with what was going on for people. So this is not new. Um, it's been around for a very long time. And I think what, I think what COVID has done is given everyone a little bit of space, which is which is brilliant, to reflect on themselves, to just start to think about how they feel about work. Because work wasn't, you know, most workplaces don't talk about feelings, you know, and a lot of people just had that space yeah. to be able to think about how they're feeling. And then along comes at the same time this juggernaut of, it's imposter syndrome, it's imposter syndrome. And we see it everywhere now. It's absolutely everywhere. It's it's all over the internet. Sorry, it's all over the internet. Um, there are people making tons of money out there selling, you know, a program to cure your imposter syndrome. Um, there's people telling you that you've definitely got imposter syndrome. You have got, you know, and there are tools out there that um, are diagnostic tools. So you can do a questionnaire, you can do a survey, it can tell you if you've got imposter syndrome. So I, I think there's a lot pulling all of that together to, to make people think perhaps perhaps they do have imposter syndrome. But I think definitely from COVID, yes, there is a shift in people's realisation about themselves that perhaps they are lacking some confidence or there is a bit of self-doubt in what they're doing. You know, that's a good thing if you can get help to deal with it, it's not such a good thing if it's just sitting on the table in front of you. It's just another thing that you're having to, that you're not feeling good about yourself. Yeah. But there are so many people out there who can help with stuff like that, that, you know, I would just urge people to talk. Um, Break so the silence. Sorry. Just one more question. Um, sure. I mean, to be how, one more question. How, how do you, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, how do you know when it's time to sort of, well, contact someone like you? Or, you know, and yeah, it's a good question, um, actually, David. You know, yeah, yeah, how do people arrive at your doorstep, so to speak, your digital doorstep? Yeah, so there's uh, what I sense from people most is, um, and this is my Scottishness, um, and how I would say this is you've just become a wee bit sick of yourself, you're yeah. a wee bit sick of yourself. So there can often be, um, and that stems from this incongruence of the way I've done things, the way I've lived my life, the way I've become the leader that I've become, because it tends to be 
highly successful senior people who are coming with us. Um, the way that I have got to where I've got to now doesn't feel like it's working anymore for me. Something needs to change. I'd like something to change. Or if it's not even as cognitive as that, then sometimes people are just coming to say, why do I not feel like I can do this anymore? Mm. Mm. I've been able to do it forever. Why do I not feel like I can do it anymore? Where where has my joie de vivre gone? Mm. Where has the joy that I was getting out of my job gone? And and where is the love for my own ability and my own like my my results? Where where is that gone? There's just something there's something missing, or there's something incredibly jarring. Now, again, you could apply that to anything. This isn't just about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I would say most people who come to me to say, oh, you know, it's my blooming imposter syndrome that's getting in the way or I feel like I've got imposter syndrome. I would say in most cases, they don't have imposter syndrome. Okay. They're just Jill, feeling how they're feeling. Yeah. Jill, I'm looking at the time. Unfortunately, I know David has lots more questions, but that was actually a good question. So I'm, um, I'm pleased he mm. asked that because it's, I think it's important for people to realize at what stage do I need to seek help, right? Yeah. Um, which, which is a nice segue to ask when people do want to seek help, how, how do they find out about you? Where, where you know, should they get in touch on LinkedIn? Um, do you have a yeah, website? Um, what, I have a website. I'm all over LinkedIn. Um, my website has tons of information on there about imposter syndrome too. So there's yeah. loads of there's loads of reading um, on there. And all I would say to anyone who is feeling like the way that we've been talking about today is just talk to someone who knows about it. it that doesn't mean that you have to invest a, a huge sum of money. Um, in doing that, it doesn't mean that you have to sign up to, you know, six sessions or whatever. I, I welcome people to ring me or drop me a note. Um, in fact, someone did the other day. She's like, I'm thinking about getting coaching, but I just want to work out if I've got imposter syndrome. You know, and we chatted for an hour. She's gone away with that information. I don't know what she's going to do with that. She might come back for some coaching. She might not. But yeah. she's certainly got of an understanding of what is what it is. I can signpost some reading. But what I would say is, and what we've not really managed to talk about today very much, is um, what you can do about it. Yeah. How you can help yourself. How someone like me could help you. How any coach out there could help you. We haven't kind of got to that because there's some really good stuff that you know that that can move you on and help you out. So, so, so we might have to get you back. To, to dive a little bit deeper into that at some point. Mm. Um, we, we always find we're running out of time. Maybe we should just do double sessions, um, David. We need to think about that. Maybe 90 minutes. Is, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just looked it up. So it's, it, your, your website is jillcalerycoachingallinoneword.co.uk. And we, we put yeah. that in the show notes alongside your LinkedIn profile as well. So um, if people are interested, obviously they, they can get in touch. And yeah, maybe we do a round two and, and, dive a bit deeper because it's it's if I say it's such a fascinating topic but it's also such you know it's you know as we discussed right it's such a common topic yeah um and it it gains if I say popularity for for better or for worse I, I sometimes think a little bit um because I'm an NLP master practitioner 
and, and I believe NLP in the 70s was kind of invented to deal with schizophrenia in, in California. It's a little bit like we now have imposter syndrome. It's like the new schizophrenia, mm -hmm. right? It's a very popular thing and, and uh, coaches now can deal with it. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of profound stuff behind it. So so best best seek someone with, with your experience, I'd say. Yeah. But thank you so much for, for being on our show today. Pleasure. I can't believe where the time has gone. Fantastic. Great. Thanks very much, Jill. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to reach out to Volker or David via our website, www.manupdown.com or podcast at manupdown.com with any feedback or to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Hear you again soon.